right now, I'm very excited that Senator Elizabeth Warren of Massachusetts is joining us. She, of course, is a powerhouse uh, progressive and somebody who has done enormous uh, work at really outlining the progressive agenda for all of us and ran for president, had an enormous effect on the election and, of course, has had impact on Joe Biden's presidency in major, major ways and ways that we're all really, really happy for. She now has a new book, Persist, a book that looks at her life and some of the personal stories in her past and what brought her to the moment that she decided to run for president and also charts out a vision of where we need to go. It's enormously inspiring, uh, as Elizabeth Warren is. And she writes about six perspectives that have influenced her life and advocacy. She writes as a mother, a teacher, a planner, a fighter, a learner who thinks, listens, and works to fight racism. And I'm very excited right now to be joined by Senator Elizabeth Warren. Senator Warren, welcome to the program. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm so glad to be here with you. Really uh, fascinating and just inspiring, enormous uh, book. And, and, and just your writing is so full of the passion that we see all the time from you. You, you write in the first chapter, it's titled Mother, and it tells the story of the forces that shaped you as a person. And I thought that just told us so much uh, about you from losing your job, uh, for being pregnant uh, when you were pregnant, to juggling two kids. Uh, and as a policymaker as well, tell us uh, about that uh, and, and, and why you started the book there. So this is a book that is about how policy is personal, personal in the sense of how it intimately touches all of us and personal in the sense that because of that, that's why I get in the fight and I hope lots of other people do. So. Here we are, you know, the, the president of the United States addressed the nation last week, and he talked about the big changes we need to make in infrastructure. And for most of our history that we've talked about making these investments, infrastructure just means roads and bridges. And finally, it started meaning communications, broadband. But it also means child care. Mamas have been struggling, and some daddies, with child care for decades. It's a broken system. Half of America lives in a child care desert. Uh, the cost of sending a kid to, to daycare is more than the cost of college in more than half the states in the country. And this falls hard on working mothers in particular. I tell my own story about how I nearly wasn't able to finish my education because I couldn't get childcare, and also tell the story about how I nearly had to quit my first job. And it's not just me. It's, that was two generations ago. It was my daughter. And if we don't make changes in this country, it will be my granddaughter. So this is about the personal, but it's also about the policy changes we have a right 
to demand that our government make. Right now, uh, the plans that the Biden administration uh, has laid out uh, would uh, certainly follow through on some of what you have advocated for family leave, uh, expansion of child care, uh, all of the more urgent because of the pandemic. Uh, what are your thoughts on the potential for change and, and seeing some of this happen? You know, I, I see at this moment, as so much has happened in the last year, we've lived through a global pandemic, uh, uh, a racial reckoning, an armed insurrection. We now have a new president who was elected by a margin of 7 million votes, and we've passed an historic rescue plan. As a nation, this is a powerful moment. We have our toes right on the line for change. I mean, structural change, big change, the kind of change that says we're going to treat child care as an obligation. We're going to do that the same way we do roads and bridges. We're going to make sure it gets done so families can depend on it. We're going to cancel student loan debt. My view is we ought to be putting in a wealth tax to ask millionaires and billionaires to pay two cents uh, so that we can we can fund the investments we need to make. And the way we're going to make that happen, you ask me how optimistic I am about this, look, I'm fighting the fight from the inside, but we need lots of pressure from the outside too. This is, this is the moment. Raise your voices. Uh, uh, post and repost and tweet and TikTok and do everything you want to do, but raise some noise about the importance of making decisions right now that invest in all our children, invest in creating opportunity, not just for a handful at the top, but being the America of opportunity for everyone. We've all been grappling uh, with the devastation of the pandemic. You write about how it affected you mm -hmm. personally. Uh, your brother died from COVID. You've been advocating for a scientific approach to the pandemic, unlike the disastrous approach we saw uh, in the Trump administration. Tell us a bit more. Mm -hmm. I, I know that you had advocated uh, very strongly uh, for allowing these patents to be used for the um, uh, countries mm -hmm. around the world that are devastated. And President Biden uh, now has decided to put his support behind that effort because this is a global pandemic and we're not going to solve it here unless we solve yes. it elsewhere. Talk a little bit about that. So uh, I am so happy about the president's announcement. I've been... Uh, leading the charge on this for a while now, that we are in an international crisis and we need to manufacture as much of this vaccine at home as we can and distribute it here at home and around the world. But we also need to say we're going to suspend these patent rights for a while so that anybody anywhere in the world can make the vaccine. We need as much access to as much vaccine as humanly possible. And there are two really important reasons for that. One is moral. These are human beings who are dying. And the United States needs to be a moral leader. 
And that means we put our resources behind saving lives around the globe. But the second reason is also important, and it's about saving our own lives. You know, there's no way to wipe out this virus if we only vaccinate each other right here in the United States, but let the thing continue to burn around the world where it changes and mutates and at least runs the risk that it jumps back over the border and in a new form bites us again. So getting that vaccine pushed out the door is the right thing to do morally, and it is the right public health step. I am happy that the president has now acceded to that. And if you'll let me, I want to say one more thing I think the president ought to do. He now has acknowledged that the federal government has the right to deal with these patents. He needs to take the next step and lower the cost of some of the prescription drugs here in the United States. Insulin, EpiPens, drugs that cost a fortune that should not. The federal government could issue contracts to have those drugs manufactured and then sell them at cost. That would help tens of millions of people reduce the cost of their drugs and get a little economic breathing room. These giant drug companies are making billions and billions and billions of dollars. They can afford it. We need to put our people first, and we need a government on the side, not of the drug companies, but on the side of the people. Absolutely. On the vaccines, uh, just allowing the patents to be uh, shared, uh, certainly for many of the countries Mm -hmm. we're talking about, isn't enough. They're going to need help with manufacturing and materials as well. Do we have an obligation to to do that too? Yes, yes. I I use patents. uh, You're exactly right. Patents were kind of the biggest of the stumbling blocks, but it's all there. We need to make sure that they have the materials and the expertise. You know, America needs to be the country again that shows up to help. When there is a crisis, you want to see the folks coming in from America because that's who we are. We'll bring our expertise and we'll do what we can with the other nations to make sure that the materials you need to do this are readily available. It's about saving lives and stamping out this virus before it mutates in a way that that the vaccines are no good. So mm-hmm. we, we hope that won't happen, but that's why we need to be fighting actively against this virus everywhere right now. Mm-hmm. My guest, Senator Elizabeth Warren of Massachusetts and her new book, Persist, uh, a memoir that tells us so much about her, but also about uh, what we need to do uh, moving forward. It's such a personal book uh, where you really uh, go back and, and, and talk about everything that motivated you in everything that you're doing. And, you know, it tells us a lot about when we watched you on the campaign trail um, how and why you did things the way you did. You you had a uh, reputation for planning everything meticulously, and uh, you have a whole chapter called The Planner, you know, describing yourself. Mm-hmm. Tell us more about th- that approach, uh, you know, sort of discussing 
uh, yourself as a planner uh, and what you hope readers will come away with? Yeah, so, you know, I think I, I got teased for being a planner, uh, but ultimately I just leaned into it. In fact, we ended up putting out a T-shirt that said, uh, Warren has a plan for that. Uh, ultimately, I put out 81 plans during the campaign, 81 glorious, juicy, detailed plans that all basically went in the same direction how to build more opportunity in America, how to strengthen housing and education, how to reform our criminal justice system, how to think about disability rights and, and housing uh, for people with disabilities, about aging and social security. But I put those plans out because for me, that's what democracy ought to mean. Candidates for office tell you, Give me a chance, and here's what I'm going to get out there and fight for. And the plans are a way to hold elected officials accountable. And best of all, the plans are a way for us to learn from each other. As I talk about in the book, it's not just my plans I ended up going with. When Julian Castro dropped out of the race, I talked to Julian immediately and asked him, if I could borrow some of his best plans mm -hmm. and include them with my own. And Julian said, of course, I want to see those plans, make it into law, carry them forward. I did the same with Jay Inslee, who had some really great plans on climate and the importance of, of, of fighting back against climate change. He said, sure, do it. And then when I dropped out, Joe Biden called me and asked if he could use some of my plans. So that's how we learn from each other. We're Democrats. We're in a primary. And we may have differences, but largely we're trying to head in the same direction. And I think the plans are a way to advance our thinking and ultimately, as we're doing right now, begin to make changes in the law, in our policies, that are going to affect people for generations to come. That chapter really uh, showed how important it is to have uh, a competitive primary with a lot of candidates with, yes, plans, a lot of plans, because as you say, yeah. uh, you share <laughs> them uh, and you each make one another better and the ultimate candidate uh, is better mm -hmm. for it. And I think we're seeing that now with President Biden. And certainly we see many of your plans uh, weaved into uh, what he is doing uh, as well. And um, that is such an important uh, aspect of having uh, a primary with a lot of dynamic candidates. Right. You know, that's the, one of the best parts about democracy. People, people got up and talked about here are specific changes. And look, as I make clear in the book, I got some things wrong. I hadn't thought them all the way through. But when you lay out a plan and other people can say, whoa, hey, you didn't think about this part over here, or you didn't consider me, that's, that's how you can actually make it better. You can take a good plan and make it a great plan. 
yesterday, uh, after all of this, you know, suspense, uh, Facebook, um, its oversight board, uh, which it left a decision to, upheld the ban of Donald Trump for now. Uh, they said Facebook has to revisit it. Uh, I know that you have been very um, vocal on Facebook and uh, it's it's about Facebook, I should say, <laughs> and uh, about mm -hmm. uh, a lot of the problems it caused uh, inside uh, our democracy in terms of our elections and uh, just the outsized power that these companies uh, have. Uh, and you talked about how, yeah, this was good that they are keeping Trump off, but we really have to move forward and now um, work on uh, regulating these uh, social media companies. Talk a little bit about that, because it was the response of actually yeah. some of the Republicans for the wrong reason. <laughs> they wanted to do it as retribution for banning Trump. Right. Right. So, look, I am glad for Donald Trump to be off Facebook. Uh, I am happy uh, to uh, wake up in the morning and not have to wonder what he did at 3 a.m., uh, and that's the first thing on my phone. But understand, um, Facebook now treats itself as more powerful than a government. Uh, it makes the decision who's talking and who's not. And Facebook has profited, I mean hugely profited, from misinformation and lies uh, and just kept putting it out there and then raking in the money. That's not right. And for Facebook to say that they are going to, to try to distance from the decision of whether Donald Trump uh, is allowed to have a platform there. Did you notice what they called that group? They called them the Supreme Court. That, right. that sounds like they believe literally that they are a government or a <laughs> government, not a Supreme Court. A bunch of right. people that Facebook hired. Uh, they, they, weren't, they weren't confirmed by the United States right. sworn in by a president and, and were confirmed to be independent. This is about Facebook and Facebook's profits. We have a problem with all these big tech companies, and it's, it's twofold. One is economic. We need more competition. We need enforcement of the current antitrust laws. Break them up so that we get more competition. But the second part is break them up because they've got too much political power. Right now, they control too much in America. So I am very hopeful that with Merrick Garland as the new head of, uh, as the new antitrust uh, uh, attorney general, that the assistant attorney general for antitrust law, who has not yet been named, I am very hopeful that we'll get someone who will be a fighter and get out there and enforce our antitrust laws. Uh, it's time. We need, again, a government that is big enough and bold enough to stand up to a tech industry that is truly out of control.
Mm-hmm. Uh, one last quick question I wanted to ask you about uh, Mitch McConnell sure. yesterday. He said um, his goal now uh, is to keep Joe Biden from getting anything done, keep this administration from getting anything done. This is as we hear some Democrats saying we have to work with Republicans. We have to make it bipartisan. We can't get rid of the filibuster. What are your thoughts on that? You know, Mitch McConnell makes clear that he's not in Washington for public service. He's in Washington for power, power for himself and his cronies. That's wrong. That's not what our democracy is about. Uh, We have big problems in this country. Right now, infrastructure is a huge one. Uh, Voter suppression. Uh, We need police reform. Uh, uh, The climate crisis is bearing down upon us. And Mitch McConnell's response to all of that is to say he will block any action. Uh, That means he's not here. He's not in Washington to serve the American people. He's just there to serve himself and his buddies. Um, If the Democrats uh, can work with the Republicans, that's fine. If some of them want to come along. But we made promises to do the work that this country needs. And Democrats need to deliver. You are uh, a powerhouse and an inspiration, I tell you, for so many of our listeners. And it was so great to have you on the program. Uh, as you said, everybody out there has to be doing the work, but they, they need that inspiration. Your book certainly gives it persist. Everyone should go and get it and read it. it it's so great to have you on the program today, Senator Elizabeth Warren. Uh, thank you for having a good conversation. And, you know, I know I'm talking to you and a lot of people who every day persist. Absolutely. And keep persisting, please. (laughs) Senator Elizabeth Warren of Massachusetts. Her book is Persist, of course, on Twitter at E. Warren. We're back in a few minutes. This is the Michelangelo Senior Ellie Show. 